All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, El Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is a place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. Today, uh, we're not going to go too deep into anything uh, pressing today. Just uh, mostly some football. We got some college football to talk about. We got some NFL news to talk about, some scores to go over, of course. Week 8 is in the books. I uh, also want to get through uh, week 9, of course, the college football. We're going to go over the top 25. We're going to go over some scores, of course, from the top 25. You know how we do. And we do have some news coming from TCU. Looks like their head coach, Gary Patterson, is going to be looking for another, well, it's going to be looking in another direction come next season. So uh, we'll take a look at that in just a second. Like I said, we're going to be breaking down the NFL. And then, of course, I do have a, se- a segment of Upon Further Review. I have not gotten to this just yet, but I've been meaning to. Um, but I finally was able to finish Drake's album not too long ago. So I got that uh, review ready for you guys. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Like I said, we're going to start things off with some college fo- with a college football update. Let's start off with the top 25 going into the week. Uh, starting off at number 25, we have Fresno State. They are 7-2. and two. Um, Pretty strong showing so far this weekend. Uh, they uh, recently got their first top 25 win against San Diego State. They were number 21 at the time, that being San Diego State. The final score in that one was 30-20. to 20. I believe at this point... Um, Fresno State has won about five games in a row, or if I'm not mistaken, six games in a row. Uh, so they're riding a winning streak again. That culminates with them being number 21, San Diego State. And here we go at number 25 to start things off this week. We got Fresno State. At number 24, we have Louisiana, excuse me, making their first appearance on the top 25 this year. They are 7-1. At number 23, we have SMU at 7-1 as well. At number 22, we have Penn State. They are 5-3. I really don't rock with this uh, selection here at number 22. Penn State is coming off two brutal losses in a row. Uh, Came up short against Ohio State. Then the week before, I believe, they came up short against Iowa as well. They haven't really looked that, that, you know, that complete this year that's what i'll say but at five and three we have penn state here at number 22 at number 21 of course coastal carolina making their way back since their loss against appalachian state of course you know the big media is going to stick it to these smaller schools because apparently to them they're not playing nobody you know although appalachian state is a five i I think it's a two loss team but that's not good enough for the media they're not good according to them so of course, Coastal Carolina can't be that great if they're losing to them. That's their opinion. I still think Coastal Carolina is a pretty decent team, nonetheless. At number 20, we have Houston at 7-1. and one. At number 19, we have Iowa here at 6-2. and two. At number 18, we have Kentucky at 6-2 and two as well. Another team coming off a big loss last weekend. At number 17, we have BYU, who is also 7-2. and two. Uh, We have UTSA, a.k.a. UT San Antonio here at uh, 8-0. We have Ole Miss here at 6-2. We have at 15. Uh, at number 14, we have Baylor at 7-1. At number 13, we have Texas A&M at 7-1 as well. At number 12, we have Auburn at 6-2. They've been on the rise, uh, winning a lot of games, well, on a winning streak, so that's going to help them out a lot. Of course, they've been playing in the SEC. Every, every game is a big game in that conference. At number 11, we have Oklahoma State at 7-1. At number 10, we have a new arrival in Wake Forest again. I haven't lost yet this season. Again, this their conference is a little bit, in my opinion, on the downturn. Again, Miami isn't you know who we thought they would be this year. Clemson, of course, is falling apart. Florida State hasn't put those pieces together. So again, you know, but with that being said, though, 
Wake Forest has done what it needs to do, and they're at this point undefeated. At number nine, uh, we will talk about this game in just a second. We have Michigan. Of course, they lost. They took their first loss last weekend against their in-state rival, Michigan State. Like I said, we'll get to that in just a little bit. At number eight, we have Notre Dame at seven and one. At number uh, seven, we have Oregon at seven and one as well. At number six, we have Ohio State. I'm not too sure if I'm in agreement with this one, of course, because Oregon beat Ohio State earlier in the year. Uh, Oregon was without a bunch of their starters in that game. Uh, Oregon has still been improving as of recently offensively, even without one of their top running backs in C.J. Fredell. So, you know, we have Kayvon Thibodeau back. The defense is looking solid. Again, you know, we had that, you know, head-up victory versus Ohio State earlier in the year. But, again, you know, they're going to – they're going to stick us for that loss with, with Stanford. We shouldn't have lost that game, and this is what happens when you lose a game that you should have won. You know, they're going to try to stick. They're going to try to fuck us. That's what they're going to try to do to the Ducks. They're going to try to mess up. They're going to try to screw them out in some way. Um, at number five, we have Michigan State at 8-0. At number four, we have Oklahoma at 8-0 as well. Oh, sorry, 9-0. At number three, we have Alabama here at 9. Sorry, Oklahoma is 8-0. Alabama is at number three at seven and one. At number two, we have Cincinnati at eight and zero as well. And of course, at number one, we still have Georgia. Let's take a look at some of the top top scores within the top twenty-five last weekend. Uh, like I said, one of the big games uh, to talk about over the weekend was actually uh, Michigan. Like I said, Michigan and Michigan State. Michigan, of course, came into that one number six. Michigan State was number course number eight uh the final score in that one was 37 to 33 uh michigan state actually came back uh they were down uh, at least by a score and was able to take over in the second half particularly in the fourth quarter and they were just able to get it done anyways uh from michigan they were led by quarterback Cade mcnair 28 to 44 from him 303 passing yards he threw two touchdown passes but he would throw an interception Wide receiver Andrell Anthony will be the team's leading receiver with six catches and 155 yards and a touchdown. And Mike Sanistral would have a receiving touchdown. Defensive end David Ajapo would also have two sacks on the defensive end for the Wolverines. Uh, for Michigan State, they were led by quarterback Peyton Thorne. Uh, not not a great day from him, 19-30 for 196 yards, and they had two interceptions. Uh, but Michigan State made up for it on the run. On the ground, at least, uh, where Michigan was able to have some success through the air. Michigan State had all their success on the ground. Kenneth Walker would have 117 yards, sorry, 197 yards, and also five touchdowns. On defense, linebacker Quaverius Couch would have 13 total tackles, and defensive back Charles Brantley would have four total tackles and an interception. Now, of course, like many other weeks, they're, of course, you're going to have your upsets. One of them that we had was uh, Pittsburgh going down to Miami. 38-34 to 34 was the final score. Uh, Miami is currently at 500 at 4-4. Four four. Pittsburgh is out of the rankings, but still above 500 at 6-2. and two. For Miami, they were led by quarterback Ty, uh, sorry, Tyler Van Dyke, who would go 32-42 for 426 yards. He would throw t- three touchdowns, excuse me, but he would also throw a pick. Running back Jalen uh, Knighton uh, would have 80 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Wide receiver Charleston Rambo would have seven receptions and 101 yards. He's, uh, Keyshawn Smith would have three receptions for 82 yards and a touchdown. Uh, tight ends Will Mallory 
and also Elijah Arroyo would also have receiving touchdowns as well. Safety James Williams would have nine total tackles and an interception, and linebacker Gilbert Frierson would have five total tackles and a sack. For Pittsburgh, they were led by quarterback Kenny Pickett. He would go 39 of 55 for 519 yards. God damn. Three touchdowns, but he would throw two interceptions. Running back Israel Abanikanda uh, Aban, would have a rushing touchdown. Rob receiver Jordan Addison would have eight receptions and 145 yards. And uh, Jarrett Wayne would have six receptions for 78 yards and a touchdown as well. Defensive lineman would have, uh, defensive lineman John Morgan would have four total tackles and a sack. So again, Pittsburgh comes up short. Then this is their second loss of the year. But again, for some reason, they get kicked completely out of the rankings. But Penn State loses two games in a row. They're still in the rankings. Y'all help it make y'all help me make it, you know, make sense for me. It doesn't make any type of sense. I know. I know. It doesn't make any sense. But there we go. This is college football. This is the rankings. Uh, we also had another upset with West Virginia getting the best of Iowa State. Of course, they were number 22 last week. Of course, they're not ranked anymore. Uh, West Virginia is at 4-4, four and four, uh, 500, of course. And for Iowa State, they are 5-3 and three with the loss. For Iowa State, they were led by Brock Purdy, of course. 60-27 for him for 185 yards. He would throw a touchdown. He would also have, he would also have 64 rushing yards and a touchdown. Brees Hall did his thing with 167 rushing yards and a touchdown. Wide receiver uh, Tariq Milton would have 68 yards. Uh, well, he would have a 68-yard uh, receiving. Uh, sorry, a 68-yard reception for a touchdown. And linebacker Jake Humel would have eight total tackles and a sack. For uh, West Virginia, they were led by quarterback Jared Dodge. He would, have, he would go 30 of 46 for 370 yards. He would also have three touchdowns and two interceptions. Running back Liddy Brown would have 109 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Route receiver Bryce Wheaton would have six catches for 106 yards and two touchdowns. And Winston Wright would have six catches for 100 yards and a touchdown. Linebacker Josh Chandler will lead the way for the Mountaineers on defense with 12 total tackles and a sack. And defensive lineman Dante Stills would have four total tackles and a sack. So, again, it's your typical Saturday. You know, the tots, you know, some of the, you know, some of the top 25 got it done. Some of them, took, of course, took some L's. Uh, another major, well, another, you know, sort of upset we had was with Houston getting it done against number 19 SMU. Uh, the final score in this one was 44 to uh, 37. Of course, SMU has the one loss. They are now seven and one. Houston is seven and one as well. So again, I know um, this loss was a, was enough to knock you know SMU out of the top 25. It's because well, nearly out of the top 25, just because you know where Houston's coming from. Out of nowhere, they're not in the top 25. Uh, but again, Houston is a one-loss team, so you gotta respect it. Anyways, for SMU, they were led by quarterback Tanner Mordecai. Uh, he would go 24-37 for 305 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. Rob, uh, sorry, running back Trey Siggers would have four, 44 rushing yards and a touchdown. He would also have three catches for 49 yards and a touchdown. Wide receiver Don, uh, Danny Gray would have uh, five catches for 73 yards. Uh, running, sorry. Wide receiver Rasheed Rice uh, would have six catches for 51 yards and a touchdown. I believe that is Jerry Rice's son, if I'm not mistaken, as well. And Jordan Curley would have 43 receiving yards and a touchdown. Uh, linebacker Richard Moore 
uh, would have six total tackles for the Mustangs and a sack. And for Houston, uh, they were led by quarterback uh, Clayton Toon. He would go 27 of 47 for 412 yards, four touchdowns. Rob receiver Nathaniel Dale would have nine catches for 165 yards and three touchdowns. Keyshawn Carter would have four receptions for 46 yards and a touchdown. And defensively, defensive back Alex Hogan would have eight total tackles. And also defensive back uh, Marcus Jones would get six total tackles and an interception. Moving on, uh, we have Baylor getting uh, getting it done against Texas late in the fourth. 31-24 was the final score. We also got Cincinnati, of course, you know, justifying their number two spot with yet another win, this time against Tulane, 31-12. We also got Texas Tech getting it done against Oklahoma, 21-52. Uh, sorry, Oklahoma got it done against Texas Tech, 52-21. to uh, We also got number nine, Iowa they took another. They took an L course last weekend against uh, Wisconsin. So again, it's getting crazier and crazier. I, again, uh, rankings are just so uh, man. I mean, I don't know why they make the rankings the way that they do. I mean, because I, I don't think they're always reflective of what you see on the field. But again, like I said, uh, Oregon uh, they handled business last weekend. They get it done against Colorado. Sometimes you know rankings do make a difference, but I mean Colorado. They're not too much to speak of. Uh, Colorado is currently two and six. Uh, of course, in this one, uh, Colorado was led by Brandon Lewis. He would go twenty-five or thirty-three, two hundred twenty-four yards. He would have three touchdowns. Uh, running back Alex Fontenot would have a rushing touchdown. Running back Brandon Rice would have five receptions for one hundred and two yards and a touchdown. And Ty Robinson would have a, t- a receiving touchdown as well. For Oregon, Anthony Brown, of course, under center again for this one. A lot better than last week in UCLA. Uh, he would have two, he would go 25 or 31 for 370 yards and three touchdowns. So maybe Mar- sorry, Mary, maybe Mario Cristobal was right. Maybe we are just scratching the surface for the Ducks passing game. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Again, Colorado ain't nobody to really worry about. Travis Dye would have 47 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Seven McGee would have a rushing touchdown as well. We got uh, Wake Forest. Like I said, they're still undefeated. They got a win last week versus Duke, uh, 45-7. We got Oklahoma State beating up on Kansas, 55-3. to uh, We also got Auburn, of course. Like I said, they've been riding a, a decent win streak recently, 31-20. to was the final score uh, last week against Ole Miss, and then of course we got Georgia beating up on um, beating up on Florida here. The final score in this one, thirty-four to seven. Of course, Georgia undefeated at eight and zero. Florida uh, is now at five hundred at four and four. Georgia, of course, offensively was led by quarterback Stetson Bennett. 10 of 19 for him, 161 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would have two picks. That's been an issue with him. Um, You know, just the picks. That's why they've been working with the two quarterback system that you've been seeing. I believe it's JT Daniels, the other guy that they got there. Uh, But on the ground, the Bulldogs were led by Zaheer White, 105 yards and a touchdown. And uh, James Cook would have a running touchdown as well. Uh, for Florida, they were led by quarterback Anthony Richardson. However, he would get hurt at some point uh, in the game. I believe it was in the second or first quarter. I believe it was the second quarter. 
if I'm not mistaken. Um, 12 of 20 for him, 82 yards and two interceptions. Emory Jones, like I said, would come in relief for him. He would go 10 of uh, 10 of 14 for 112 yards. He would run for rush, uh, have a rushing touchdown. Rob receiver Justin Shorter would be the team's leading receiver with four catches and 50 yards. And safety Rashad Torrance would have two interceptions. I know people haven't really brought this coach up a lot recently in terms of being on the hot seat. But why are we not talking about or at least mentioning Dan Mullen? Uh, many years now, at least the, the past two or three years, people have highly rated Florida, um, at least winning the SEC East or at least challenging Georgia. And it seems to me that they have not been able to do that. Uh, they haven't really meet, met expectations. Uh, they keep having these games where they get up against the top, you know, the top guys of the SEC and they keep seem to be getting blown out. So again, I, I don't know if Dan Mullen is necessarily the guy, in my opinion, to get it done in Florida. But, you know, people will say what they want. Also, when you face the Georgia Bulldogs, you're going to feel the Bulldog bite. That's all I'm going to say. The Bulldogs are looking solid this year. I think they might uh, be making a run in the championship this year. They have a lot of a lot of good things going for them. A really solid uh, running game, really good defense in terms of preventing teams from scoring. My question is, their biggest question is, it's going to be quarterback play. Can they stay consistent? Whoever they're going to be going with, can they cut down on these interceptions? I think those are going to be drive killers. I don't think Florida had much to offer on an offensive standpoint to really challenge Georgia. So it didn't really show up in this game, but it may show up down the line. Of course, one of their first games this season, they didn't score a whole lot of games. That came down to the wire. I can't remember who that game was, but it, I believe it was week one. And it was just like a really low-scoring game, and both offenses looked pretty bad. So, again, if Georgia really wants to, I know people are looking at it like now, of course, defense wins championships. I, I, if they can keep you at, if they can keep you at seven points, yes. If they can, if they can do you like they did in Florida, maybe. Again, I don't think Florida had that great of an offense coming in, you know, coming into the season with what I've seen, um, at least through the, the past few weeks. Of course. You know, preseason there was a lot of hype, but once you you know saw you know once you see these teams play, you start to understand what they bring to the table. Florida didn't really have nothing to bring to the table, so again, it's I could see them blowing out a team like Florida easily. Ole Miss, Bama, it's gonna be interesting. Can those quarterbacks keep pace? Whether it be Bennett, whether it be Finley, or sorry, um, Daniels, can they keep pace without turning the ball over? throwing interceptions, you know, dropping the ball on the ground for via fumble. Can they avoid that? If Georgia's offense can avoid specifically the interceptions for quarterbacks, then you definitely have a championship team. They have a they have a championship caliber defense and like the running game with Sahir White and James Cook. I just don't like the quarterback play. That is that is my main thing right now. And as far as far as Florida is concerned, if I'm if I'm looking at, if I'm an AD, if I'm their AD right now, I might be warming up Namo and see it a little bit. Let's see how the rest of the season plays out. But again, with all these coaches that are bouncing, with you know, we'll get into Gary Patterson, Patterson in just a second down at PC, TCU. You know, maybe it might be time for them to just kind of say, let's 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 just let's just try it out. Like I said, 
We brought him up a couple times already. Gary Patterson, yes, it is official. Uh, after 21 seasons, he has decided to walk away uh, from the TCU program effective immediately, meaning last as of last week uh, after their last game that was played. Um, we asked him to continue as our head coach for the remainder of the season and take on a different role in 2022. But he believed it was in the team's and TCU's best interest to begin the transition immediately. And this comes from AD, uh, the athletic director, excuse me, Jeremiah Bernati. Now, I kind of agree with this because, you know, they, they want to, I mean, they would want to kind of get the Mr. Dream in there immediately so you can recruit the right guys that are going to fit that system so you can put those guys to work and have them practicing and have them getting, you know, getting familiar with what whatever change is going to be made so i personally get it um when i first heard about the news i was a little bit shocked because he had always been a pattern of consistency for me um, in college football uh, and particularly tcu um they've had their up and down years uh i hadn't really paid too much attention to what has gone on recently we'll just we'll get to that in just a second um, and by the way, Patterson will be, you know, will be around at least to help out, help them out. Uh, sorry, help them out with finding a new coach. But it seems to me that he's going to be taking a step aside. I haven't heard anything about, you know, retirement. So maybe it could just be, you know, him searching for a new fit or whatever. Maybe it could be retirement. I mean, he's been there for 20, 21 seasons. So that's a long time. Maybe he could just want to take a rest and call it a day. In the meantime, uh, former Minnesota head coach Jerry Kill will serve as TCU's interim coach. Now, but Patterson will become head coach back in 2000 while the team was still playing in Conference USA. He has gone on to win six conference titles, and and that will be in multiple conferences, meaning the well that including the conference Conference USA, excuse me, also the Mountain West Mountain West, which they played into about until about 2012. And then also they had a share. They had a they had a share of the Big Twelve conference title as well. So he's had some success at different levels of the D one game. Uh, he's also won seventeen ball games. He also has had six top ten finishes, and he's also had eleven seasons with double digit wins. Uh, most of his success came in two thousand ten and two thousand fourteen. In 2010, the Horned Frogs would finish 13-0 with a number three ranking, and they also ended up beating Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And this was a big thing because back in 2010, it was still the BCS era. It was, you know, of course, we had the BCS pretty much choosing, you know, the rankings and all that based on, you know, computer and other, you know, AP rankings, coach rankings, and like I said, the computer and it caused just so much of a stir, so much controversy. Uh, but again, you would have teams from these smaller conferences. And in this time this time period, 2010, it would specifically be Boise State and TCU. They would refer to them commonly, you know, colloquially, if you even want to go there for the time period. The media, you know, college football fans, you would hear this term BCS buster. You know, BCS you know, destroyer, because what would happen is some, you know, some of these big time teams would be bold enough to play these guys on a, on a win early in, you know, in, earlier in the season, maybe around August or September, and they end up losing, 
you know, a lot of Oregon has Oregon, um, at, you know, at some of their highs, uh, have, has, you know, gone down to Boise State or had Boise State come to Eugene and taken a loss in that area, in that BCS area. TCU did that as well. They had beaten Texas and some of those Big 12 teams, you know, in, in games that nobody thought that they would win. And that's why they would call them BCS busters because those teams that they would beat would be so highly regarded and so just, you know, overly hyped. You know, they're going to definitely win a championship, so on and so forth. That that's, you know, again. So I remember both of those teams, and I give a lot of the, a lot of those teams a lot of, I mean, give both of those teams a lot of love, particularly the coaches at the time. Chris Peterson was a coach down at Boise uh, in that era, and also, like I said, you know, We've been talking about Gary Patterson, who's been the coach throughout that whole time. So, like I said, they were finished 12 and 1 in 2010. Like I said, oh, sorry, uh, 13 and 0 in 2010. Uh, they ended up beating Wisconsin. Wisconsin was supposed to be this, you know, this solid program uh, at the time. Andy Dalton was the quarterback. People don't give him a whole lot of love, but he was a decent college quarterback. Um, I cannot remember who was at uh, Wisconsin at the time. I want to say it was Russell Wilson, but I think it was a little bit too early for that. I think Russell Wilson came at least a couple of years later. Uh, but anyways, uh, 2014, another one of their solid years. They were finished 12-1. and one. They also ended up blowing out uh, Ole Miss in the Peach Ball. So, again, uh, they would they would match up with these teams. If not during the regular season, they would also sometimes meet up with these teams in a big-time ball game. Like I said, like well, most notably in this one, like the Peach Ball. We also talked about the Rose Ball. And they would smack up these Division Five, these power schools. So I always liked watching that because they, they would always give those teams a bunch of hell just because of the conference that they played in. And to be honest, I, you know, I understand, you know, I understand, you know, history behind these schools. Like I understand that Texas has this long, you know, developed history of winning at some point. You know, you look at schools like USC, um, all the major conference schools, you know, at some point they have their history. Uh, but these smaller schools out there, you know, your TCUs, you brought up Boise. Uh, even this year, you're having a couple teams in your top 25 that can shake some things up. We've already seen what Coastal Carolina can do the past couple of years. If this was a BCS era, that's what they would be known as. Um, they haven't been lucky enough to be, you know, placed with these teams in a place with some of these upper echelon teams in a ball game, but if they were to, you know, play them in a regular season, who knows what could happen, and um, they would be considered a, a BCS buster, you know, pretty much, but anyways, back to, back to TCU, let's keep it on, let's keep it on point as much as we can, um, but Patterson overall had a, a record of 181 and 79 at TCU, now, with that being said, the team has struggled over the past, uh, over, over the past year, matter of fact, uh, they, uh, sorry, they have lost um, four. Oh, sorry, they're currently three and five this year. I believe they well, they pretty much have had losing seasons in four of the past five years, and there's a possibility of that happening again because their schedule is pretty difficult throughout the rest of the way. Kind of like with TT, uh, sorry, with Texas Tech when they let go of their head coach. You know, they were at a decent spot. It's, it's a little bit different. Texas Tech was at a decent spot, was at a decent spot, but the, the athletic department figured, hmm, with the schedule we have right now, 
that might not be the case at the end of the year, particularly with how we've been playing as of recently. With TCU, is a little bit different situation because they weren't as successful currently. But I feel like, you know, with that being said, they're already kind of struggling. There's no guarantee that they really find some success to end off the year. So, I'm, you know, Jerry said, you know what, let me take it upon myself and just call it a day. So, you know, I kind of get it. You know, before it gets real bad, you you, you, you go, you, you do what you got to do, you head on before it gets too bad. Now, over the past four seasons, TCU has also struggled uh, against the Big 12 as well. They've gone 13-19. Again, they're one game below 500. And so, you know, it's understandable. You know, it's time for a change. Gary Patterson might need a new change of scenery or maybe to get some rest and ch- chill with his family and his wife. Um, and, and, and that's okay because, again, he's worked hard. He, you know, followed his dream. He followed his path. And now he gets to kind of, you know, go off into the sunset for what it's worth. So uh, I'm, I give him I give him what you guys call today his flowers. Good job, coach. You definitely uh, changed how a lot of people perceive college football or other teams in college football outside of the Power Five and I, at a Power Five conferences. And I got to give you, I got to give you props for that because uh, without guys like Gary Patterson, without guys like, you know, uh, Chris – uh, Peterson down at Boise, you'd you'd hear the same. You know, even Urban Meyer back in the day when he was at Utah, again another BCS buster. You wouldn't hear about these different schools. Utah would probably not ever think of joining the Pac-12 had it not been for the success that they had uh, with Urban Meyer beating on Alabama uh, in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, you would not have had TCU jump from the conf- uh, Conference USA to Mountain to the Mountain West to the Big 12 and so on and so forth. And now you, you even now hear Boise possibly could be, you know, moving and, and going to a Power 5 conference. Now, that might be the case at some point. So you never know. And, 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 and that's probably why we have conference realignment is because of those teams that have made a mark for themselves. So uh, no, uh, no shade thrown at Mr. Gary Patterson. He did a good job. Uh, again, things kind of fell apart near the end, but you know, thing it, it happens. And um, again, maybe it means it's, it's a time for a new change, and that means for the program at TCU and also for Gary Patterson. So it's always about something, you know, turning to that new page. All right, y'all, I'm gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're breaking down the NFL. Of course, another week is in the books. We'll be going over the scores. We got some injuries to go over, and of course, we have a a trade. Yeah, not necessarily. I don't think it's the biggest trade of all time, but definitely the biggest trade of this season so far. And I think this is the trade deadline. So, yeah, this is the best we're going to probably get. <laughs> the biggest one we're probably going to get. So, I'm going to take a break, quick uh, quick break, and I'll be right back, y'all.
All right, y'all, we are back. So week eight of the NFL is in the books. So we're going to go over all the scores and all the news and all that. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, first things first, we have the Titans getting done against the Colts, 34-31 uh, to 31 in overtime. We have the Panthers getting it done against the Falcons, 19-13. to 13. We got the Bills beating up on the Dolphins. Again, what can we say? Two is already being put in trade talks potentially. Yeah. Yeah. They had so much potential, at least that's what everybody said. I didn't jump on that bandwagon. I don't know. I got to see it. Y'all too busy trying to... I just want to wait. I got to watch the sport. I got to watch the games be played before I say anything about anybody. Sorry. That's just the way I roll. Anyways, we got the Jets getting uh, getting it done against the Bengals, getting their second win of the year. 34-31 to 31 was the final score here. The Jets are now 2-5. and five. The Bengals are 5-3. and three. For the Bengals, Joe Burrow will go 21-34 of 34 for 255 yards, 259 yards, excuse me, three touchdowns, but he will throw that one pick. Joe Mixon would have a rushing touchdown. He would also have four catches for 58 yards and a touchdown. T. Higgins would be the team's leading receiver with four catches and 97 yards. Todd's boy would have uh, uh, five receptions for 69 yards and a touchdown. And uh, Jamar Chase would have a receiving touchdown as well. Safety Jesse Bates the third would have eight total tackles and an interception. For the Jets, their offense was led by quarterback Mike White, of course, in in reserve for the rookie quarterback, Zach, Zach Wilson. I want to call him Zach and Cody, but that would not have, that would not have been right. Zach and Cody. Damn. 37-45 for him. Uh, not Zach Wilson, but Mike White. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. 37-45 for him for 405 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. Michael Carter, the rookie. Out of North Carolina doing his thing, uh, 77 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He'd also have nine catches for 95 yards. I wish I would have started him last week. That would have been a lot of points. Um, but you know I got the dub. I'm talking about fantasy football. My bad, y'all. Uh, running back Ty Johnson by the, uh, will have five catches for 71 yards and a touchdown. And tight end uh, Tyler Croft and wide receiver Braxton Berrios will get receiving touchdowns as well. On defense, linebacker C.J. Mosley will get uh, 10 total tackles. And Sheldon Rankins will get four total tackles and a sack. Uh, moving on, we got the Steelers getting it done against their divisional rival, the Browns. 15 to, fit, 15 to 10 is the final score on this one. The Steelers are at 4-3. and three, The Browns are 4-4. Four and four. A lot of people have this team as a Super Bowl contender. Why? That's a lot of hype. That's a lot of hyperbole. But anyways, they regress, or they're right where they should have been at 4-4. Four four. Uh, only 10 points in this game, not necessarily a good look. Uh, but in this one, Steelers, uh, for the Steelers, Big Ben will go 22-34, of 34, 266 yards. He would have a touchdown. Najee Harris would have 91 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Uh, we also got Pat Fryermuth. Uh, he will get himself four catches and 42, 48 yards. Oh, and uh, Friar Moose will get a touchdown as well. Uh, Rod receiver Deontay Johnson would have six receptions for 98 yards. And defensively, T.J. Watt would have six total tackles and, a, and one and a half sacks. Again, a, a half.
half a sack, I don't know how that is calculated. That makes no sense to me either. Chris Wormley and Isaiah Loudermilk. Loudermilk would have a sack. Wow, that's a, that's a name right there. I'm not going to roast. I just think it's an interesting name. I don't know how that name comes about. Loudermilk. Hmm. Anyway. For the Browns, Baker Mayfield would go 20 of 31, 225 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Nick Chubb would have 61 yards on the ground. Uh, we have Duke Johnson, oh sorry, De'Ernest Johnson uh, getting a rushing touchdown today. I don't know why I'm thinking about Duke, but that's that's the first name that came to my head. Uh, we have uh, Jarvis Landry being the team's leading receiver here, five total catches for 65 yards. And uh, defensively, Miles Garrett, of course, shows up again with another sack. Uh, he has four tackles that go on top of that. And Malcolm Smith at the linebacker spot would get him about eight tackles as well. Actually, I think it's more than that. Actually, ten total tackles. Forgive me. Forgive me, y'all. Uh, but moving on, we have the, uh, the Eagles getting it done against this, the Lions. 44 to sorry 44 to 6 the Rams they get it done against the Texans 38 to 20 the Rams are 7 and 1 of course the Texans still struggling they are 1 and 7 Matt Stafford goes 21 and 32 to uh sorry 305 yards and three touchdowns Darrell Henderson will have 90 yards on the ground also a touchdown he also have a receiving touchdown as well Robert Woods would have a receiving touchdown and a rushing touchdown gotta love it jack of all trades type of energy I enjoy it. Uh, that's that's. I mean, I think I think that's the biggest thing about life being multifaceted. If you can do multiple things in life, that's a good thing. Uh, Cooper Cup uh, did this thing as well. The team's leading receiver with seven catches, 115 yards. He would also catch a touchdown pass. Linebacker Ernest Jones would have nine total tackles for the squad. Uh, he would also have uh, a half a sack and an interception. And Leonard Floyd would have two sacks. Uh, for the Texans, uh, Davis Mills getting better uh, despite what's going on around him. 29 to 38, uh, he also would go. He also would pass for 310 yards. He would have a couple touchdowns, but he would throw that pick. Rex Burkhead, he's still in the league. He would have a rushing touchdown. Brandon Cooks, he's still around. Six receptions from him, 83 yards and a touchdown. Tight end Bev, sorry, Brevin Jordan would have 41 yards receiving. And a touchdown and defensive lineman Jonathan Grenard, I believe, would have a sack as well. Moving on, we got some NFC action. Uh, this time, the Niners, they've been struggling the past few weeks. They were able to get it done against another struggling team, the Bears. 33 to, sorry, 33 to 22 was the final score. The Niners are 3 and 4. The Bears, two games below 500 at 3 and 5. For the Niners, of course, they're still led by Jimmy G, holding on to that starting spot. Uh, deservedly so at the moment. 17 to 28, 322 yards, two rushing touchdowns. Running back Eli Mitchell will be the team's leading rusher in terms of yardage. He would have 137 yards on the ground and also supplying a touchdown. Debo Samuel was the team's leading receiver, six total catches and 171 yards, and a good day for my fantasy team to say the least. Josh Norman would have seven tackles and an interception, and safety Matt Harris would have six total tackles and a sack. For the Bears, Justin Fields would go 19 to 27 for 175 yards. He would throw a touchdown. He also threw a pick. He would have 103 rushing yards and a touchdown. So, again, it evens itself out. Two touchdowns to one. I like two touchdowns and one interception. I like it. I, 
again, the interception, of course, looks bad. But I, he's still learning. He's still growing. And I think he's definitely getting better. Tight end Jesse James would have a receiving touchdown, of course. And uh, safety DeAndre Houston. DeAndre Houston Carson would have six total tackles. You got the Patriots getting it done against the Chargers, 27-24. to The Seahawks get it done against the Jaguars in a major way, 31-7. Shout out to E40, fourth in a major way. Uh, the Saints, um, yeah. Yeah, the Saints, they were active this weekend. Definitely. Oh, when the Saints go march them in, the Saints go march them in. They take on the Brady Bunch. This time, the Saints get it done, 36-27. to 5 and 2 is the current record for the Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers dropped to 6 and 2. For the Bucks, Tom Brady of course under center um, making us young cats, you know, not necessarily making us look bad but making sure we have no excuses cuz he's this older guy doing it. So uh, 28 of 40 for him, 375 yards, four touchdowns and two interceptions. Chris Godwin would have, would have eight receptions, 130 yards, and a touchdown. And guess whose fantasy team he's on as well? Mine. Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> yeah, it was a – actually, I was projected to lose this week, but you got to love it. I won. Uh, uh, Cyril Grayson and Mike Evans and also Giovanni Bernard would have a receiving touchdowns. Oh, guess whose fantasy team Tom Brady's on? Mine. I know. I just cleaned up the shop this year. Again, this is probably the only. This is probably my best drafting year of all time in fantasy football. So, I, I, you know, that's just what it is. Jordan Whitehead, the safety, would get nine uh, total tackles for the Saints. Yes, the Saints. They go marching in. Uh, we got Trevor Simeon getting the bulk of the work at quarterback uh, with you know Jameis Winston. He's out with an ACL. He's out for the rest of the season. Uh, but Trevor Simeon will go 16 to 29 for 159 yards. He would throw a touchdown. Jameis Winston, before he was pulled, was able to throw a touchdown pass as well, only 56 yards. On the ground, Alvin Kamara will lead the way. He would have 61 rushing yards and a touchdown. Trey Quan Smith would have a receiving touchdown. And defensively, safety Chauncey Gardner would have six total tackles and a sack. And linebacker Quan Alexander would have five total tackles and a sack. Moving on, we got the Broncos beating up on the well, not even necessarily beating up, but getting a win against the Washington football team, 17 to 10. We got the Cowboys getting it done in that Sunday night matchup against the Vikings, 20 to 16. Uh, let's move on to Monday. Uh, well, you know, a few hours ago, and yeah, it will be last night if you're listening to it in the morning or tomorrow. Uh, but the Chiefs get it done by three against the Giants, 20 to 17. Chiefs make it to 500. They are four and four. The Giants are trying to find their way at two and six. Uh, for the Giants, Daniel Jones will go 20 of 32 for 222 yards. Uh, he would also have uh, two touchdowns, but he will throw a pick. Tight ends Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph would both have receiving touchdowns, and defensive end Leonard Williams would have four total tackles and a sack. The thing about the Giants is, again, they're struggling to run the rock. I don't know who's starting right now for them. If Saquon Barkley's in the mix, I haven't paid attention to the Giants. They're irrelevant. Sorry. That big city, big dreams, and garbage football teams. Yes, that's New York, New York, and you got Chicago. Big cities, garbage football team. L.A. teams are all right, actually. They looking okay. But San Francisco, 
week. <laughs> All the major market teams not that great right now. Like if you say the two LA teams, you can make a case for them. Philly, hey, they got that win against you know Detroit. Who cares? Nobody's looking at. Nobody cares about Detroit. Anyways, back to this Chiefs game, right? So, um, offensively for the Chiefs, of course, Patrick Mahomes under center, 248, 275 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would throw a pick. Uh, Damian Williams on the ground, 49 yards. Sorry, Darrell Williams. I see. Luckily, I didn't didn't say D'Angelo Williams. That would have made me look even more retarded. Anyways, uh, Derek Gore gets a uh, rushing touchdown. I had to make sure that was right. I had to remember. I had to go Google it to make sure. My bad, y'all. Cause I, I um no. Anyways, Tyreek Hill would have twelve catches for a twelve catches for ninety three yards and a touchdown. Um, we got McCall Harmon in the mix as well. Five catches for sixty three yards. Uh, but nothing really to write home about for Patrick Mahomes or the Chiefs offense. Uh, on uh, in terms of defense. Willie Gay Jr. at the linebacker spot would have uh, nine total tackles, excuse me. He'd also have an interception. We also got Frank Clark and uh, Derek Nandi also getting sacks as well. So let's move on to the news. Let's talk a little bit about it. Uh, We have some major injuries to go over. Derek Henry, who is on my fantasy team, um, bad news, foot injury. He had an MRI recently. There is no timetable for his return. He has 219 carries so far this year. This is the most by most by a player in the first eight weeks in NFL history. He was on the way. He was on his way to breaking some type of records, some important records. But unfortunately, unfortunately, we don't know what's going to arise of this. But he's definitely going to miss some time. Like I said, it sucks because he's on my fantasy team. But I think I might be all right because I got Michael Carter. I think I'm gonna have. I'm gonna think I'm gonna work him into my starting lineup. I think I might be okay. I hope. JJ Watt will be out for a while, actually for the, the rest of the season. Uh, he's dealing with a shoulder injury. He suffered that last week. Apparently, he was able to play through the game. But with that being said, what difference did it make? Because he can't play at all for the rest of the year. So great, awesome, and. Another year has gone down with him getting injured, and he hasn't played a full season. So, I mean, he's a he's a, a good guy. I respect what he did during Hurricane Harvey, but I don't want to say this, but he's a tad bit overrated as you know as a player. So, just gonna just gonna say that right now. Okay, big news for the, the trade deadline: the Broncos. Wow, they do another. They make another trade with the Rams. Go figure. This time they trade their Super Bowl MVP linebacker Von Miller uh, for t- for a second and th- for second and third round picks in next year's draft. Miller had four and a half sacks this year and thirty quarterback pressures, which is top ten in the league. And this is you know in their own words, this is Von Miller discussing you know what the situation is. We'll always have Super Bowl fifty. Seeing the pictures when I was walking out. Just made me tear up, but we always got Super Bowl Fifty. I always got Broncos fantasy. And looking at his um, press conference and some of the interviews he's been giving, he looks a little bit down. Um, it seems that he didn't really want to go from Denver. 
I'm a little bit surprised just because of all the drama um, that he's been through the last few weeks or in the last few, like at least the last couple of seasons in general there. I wouldn't, you know, me personally, I wouldn't mind a change of scenery. Um, you know, but I, I think he was comfortable where he was at. Of course, Denver has a good a good fan base. They just seem to be really down about it. And Denver fans in general, they don't like the move either because it seemed like, look, you know, times change. And uh, fortunately, you know, the the Broncos decided to start over. Um, if they're looking at this, they're looking at where they're at right now. They're definitely, I mean, I don't, in a way, it's kind of throwing in the towel. And it's a little bit too early because you don't know what could happen, you know. But it looks like they want to start in a new direction. In L.A., Vaughn will be linking up with linebacker Leonard Floyd. We mentioned him before. He recently got two sacks in his last outing. And also, of course, the beast Aaron Donald. This looks like it's going to be one of the best defenses of all, of all time on paper, <laughs> at least in this era. Um, now, my big question is, will all these trades, you know, of course, they traded for Jalen Ramsey at some point as well. Will they all work out in the end? Because this is a lot of capital in terms of future players and potential development that the Rams are missing out on. And... For what it's worth, you know, Aaron Donald is going to keep getting older. We have Leonard Floyd who's going to get older. We already have, you know, Von Miller who's going to be 30 soon, if I'm not mistaken, or, you know, in his 30s if, if he's already not in his, in his 30s. Uh, we have Matthew Stafford who's already up there, you know. So I think there's so many other holes that we need to address. I think Von, Von Miller also carries a hefty price tag. I want to say upwards of 100 and, 100 and something million in total for what's left on his t contract. Or uh, I think that was his contract in total. Uh, but I think he's at least two years within that contract. So, you know, but it's still a significant chunk left to pay him. Uh, now, he is just going to be here for the season. So there's a chance he can leave the loss. He can go somewhere else if there is you know, if he decides to, but if they end up winning, you know, probably not. So the question is, how do they maintain the team on top of all these stars and on top of all this money they're going to have to spend? And it, uh, you know what? It's their call. <laughs> all I'm going to say is good luck. Uh, you know, and maybe just, just, I mean, both the LA teams be spending. I mean, the, look at the Dodgers. <laughs> I mean, if y'all can handle, if y'all can handle the cap space and all that that comes with all that, by all means, y'all go ahead. All right, y'all. Let's move on. We're gonna talk about the Kansas City Chiefs a little bit. Of course, I've been hearing so much stuff about them recently. Not so much football related, but let's talk about some football stuff as well. Currently, they're four and four. They're third in the AFC West. Um, and last night, again, whenever you're listening to this. They recently got that twenty to seventeen win against the Giants, but it wasn't really wasn't pretty at all. Uh, for example, they gave up 12, 20, 12 penalties. Excuse me, twelve penalties for one hundred and three yards. Patrick Mahomes would go six to nineteen to finish off the first half after just missing one pass in his first nine attempts, and his um, yards per attempt would drop down to four. 
Now there was two more turnovers that the Chiefs had. They currently lead the league with 19. So again, guess they get the W, but it wasn't pretty and it, they could have lost. Now there is some outside drama, uh, particularly with some social media stuff going on. Tyron Matthew recently called out Chiefs fans. Again, he's a vocal leader of the team. He also was calling out the team a couple weeks ago, I believe also in the Washington game. I believe he has some issues as well, some words to say there as well. So there is some drama. There is some, you know, some, I guess you would call it dysfunction. But a lot of it, I think, is because the team has been losing lately. You know, they're just not used to all this right now. Now, there's a lot of stuff that people are talking about in terms of Patrick Mahomes and the people around him. Of course, his wife going bad on fans on social media as well. Also, at the games, getting into arguments with people. You know, just causing a scene for him, bringing a lot of negative attention to him, negative press. Uh, you also got his younger brother, Jackson, who just can't seem to get right. He's acting like a fool in public. You know, hella privileged, you know. And some mixed kid shit. That's what mixed kids do. I could just tell by his mentality he, he are fucked up in his head. So, and you also got Andy Reid. He's facing some drama as well. Not so much with himself, but his son, uh, Britt. Now, He's being he well, he was charged with a felony felony DUI, which occurred on February fourth, and he's has a trial uh, trial date finally set for February of next year. So there's a lot going on with the Chiefs in uh, offside of the field. I also, but I, what I will say is this: there are these factors going on. I will say for um, some of the drama, at least the Patrick Mahomes drama. I think he can he can he can address both of those people on a one on one, and try to you know, and let his wife and his little brother know what the deal is. I think he can. Um, and I kind of find it funny that a man who's a quarterback who's supposed to be leading this grown ass man can't check his wife and his little brother. I do kind of find that funny. I think he should be able to do that, particularly if he's going to be a leader of grown men. He ought to be able to go to his wife and say, "Hey." Calm your ass down. Go to his little brother and say, hey, calm your little ass down or don't come to my shit. I'm not going to allow you to come and be doing all that shit. Um, so I think those could be nipped in the butt. Tyron Matthew, he's just a, he's just a vocal leader. You know, I think uh, there's some things that the team can do, you know, in terms of game planning and, and just finding some more success on the field to kind of ease what he's going through right now. He's just trying to get the team to just kind of elevate the, the level of play right now because they've been inconsistent. As far as Andy Reid is concerned, he could be distracted, but I think that's why you have a coaching staff around you to kind of insulate all that. So I think that's part. I think that might be part of it. But again, with with all the different heads you got around there, you got position coaches, you have coordinators, and all that. I think that's enough to kind of insulate what distractions he may be having. I think the biggest problem is the fact that over time, teams have understood what the Chiefs bring to the table offensively. Uh, if we look at the way that their division has played for them, for at least three to four good years now, maybe even five, the Chiefs have just kind of run rap shot over the division, maybe even longer than that. But what has happened is teams have allowed guys prepared every season. They've done their homework. They've, you know, of course, you got film sessions. You play these guys two times a year. 
So I think each team, at least in their division and of course in the conference around them, has improved in their own way and has done homework on them. The Bills are kicked that ass earlier this year. And let's be real here, like the teams that, are, that have beat them are definitely playoff caliber teams. There's no doubt in my mind. We know the Giants ain't shit. So this win right here, yes, it gets in the 500, but it's not really a significant win. We saw, we know what we're going to get when we see them versus the playoff caliber teams. They're probably going to come up short. We saw them versus the, the Ravens. They came up short. They also were a team, they, they also have been a team that's been notoriously bad at defense and are not clutch at all in that department, unfortunately. Despite having, you know, individual, good individual talent like Tyron Matthew, uh, Frank Clark, to an extent. You have Sorensen um, that's been there for so many years as a safety. So you have some people there, but I don't think as a unit that team is defensively that potent. So you have that. So I think there's a lot of it is football. I mean, it's just, you know, just teams doing their homework and becoming better. Um, there's no way that you can't tell me, particularly right now, what you've seen from the Chiefs and the Raiders sorry, the Raiders and the Chargers to say that they have not improved. They've improved. I'm not going to say they vastly improved. They, they're going to they're gonna start becoming world beaters. They're going to do all this. I never claimed Super Bowl for the Raiders. I know I'm not. I will never go into that hyperbole. But I will at least be real enough and be, you know, honest enough to at least say there's going to be some improvement. I see improvement just about every, I've seen improvement just about every year. And despite the drama with John Gruden and all that unfortunate shit, the team was still coming around. Yes, we had a couple different losses, but if we can win without him, I think the roster was already set. I think him and Mayock have been doing a decent enough job to bring talent together. Uh, L.A. slash San Diego. Same thing. Homework in terms of their quarterback. They also seem to do their homework and putting a good team around him. They have one of the best offensive lines right now. They have a good defensive line as well. Again, the Chiefs can't say that they have a great defensive line. They can't really say that they have a great defense either. So I think everybody has improved. I mean, even the Broncos have tried to do something. They've, you know, they drafted solid defensive players. They, um, you know, tried their best to upgrade their offense. They just haven't ha haven't been able to get the the quarterback to really to lead them that's been one of their problems or to keep that quarterback healthy in, in some in some cases if you look at the AFC as a whole uh, the Steelers are to an extent improved the Bills are improved as well so this is just not I mean if you look at you know the Ravens you're also I mean you're looking at a, a, a good team as well so there's a lot of great to good to great teams in this conference and there's at least two better teams in the division. So from a football standpoint, it makes sense that they're going to struggle. I personally think that these, you know, these are excuses about this girlfriend and about even Andy Reid being distracted. They're excuses. Um, these are these are things that people are coming up with, you know, to make a story. Because you got to understand that. Yes, we are talking about sports, but then we put the word journalism to go with it. So part of journalism is making these stories and, and having something that people will gravitate to. And it's much, it's much more interesting to say that, oh, well, look at Jackson, 
acting a fool at the game and look at him and being all tip top. It's easy to say, oh, it's, it's easy to point the blame at, you know, uh, Patrick's girl and say, yeah, she's she's uh, she's arguing with fans on social media and she's becoming a distraction. It's easy to say that, you know, Andy Reid might even be distracted by what's going on with his son and all this crap, right? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day could it just be that the Raiders are good? It's Could it just be that the Chargers are better? Could it just be that the AFC is a really tough division, I mean, a tough conference to win? It Could it just be that? Could it just be that people have done their homework? They've played it. They've seen enough of this team to know that, you know, to know what's going to happen. I think it's that. I personally think it's more so of teams becoming better than all these outside stories that these people keep coming up with. Now, not to say that these aren't, these can't be issues for this per Like, for instance, now, I can't say that what Patrick's wife is doing, his little brother is doing, won't affect him or doesn't really get on his head. But that can't account for everybody. That that can't go for every. That excuse can't be said for everybody. Yeah, Britt uh, Reed had an accident. Andy Reed's son, he had a DUI. That, that can't be on everybody's head because they're not fucking related to him. You feel what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, Tyron Matthews snaps on fans, and he had an argument with he calling fans out, whatever. He's getting at the players to be better. He's obviously a vocal leader. He's going to do that. That's not a problem. Not You're not going to have a whole team of players yelling at each other. That's not how it's going to go. You're going to have one or two vocal leaders, and those are going to be the guys who are going to bring one of the guys and putting them in line and checking them. Nobody had a problem. Nobody, none of his teammates had a problem with it. But the media said, oh, oh, Tyron, he snapped. He did this. And they talked about how he, you know, y'all quick to do that. Y'all, y'all, can, can, can we be, can I just say one thing before I end this, in this segment? And I don't mean to, again, I don't want to make it too racial, but why is it that white people have a problem with, with black people being serious? Why can't, particularly black men, why can't we be serious sometimes? Why can't we just want to handle business? We ain't got to sit here and joke with y'all, laugh it up with y'all, or be a thug, acting an ignorant cat. We ain't got to be, you know, character with y'all. We can just be serious and handle business too. We can laugh later. We can have fun later. I'm pretty sure in the off season, you know, Tyron and these guys, they go to these certain dudes' podcasts and they say whatever. They let loose in the off season. Right now, it's serious. Like, you know, a few weeks ago, you know, uh, I was watching the Oregon game and, and, and a guy, you know, made a mistake and the head coach, Mario Cristobal, goes off on him and the media, oh, media goes, oh, my God, you're, you're hurting his feelings. It's on TV. That's too far or whatever. It, no, that's what coaches do. I mean, come on. I mean, your parents are in your ass worse than this. And you know that. Your parents, if they gave a fuck about you. They're going to be saying all type of stuff. They're going to be in your ear saying all type of stuff to get you to, to turn around, to, to become who you need to be. I mean, come on. They go, that's what that's what people who have standards for you are going to do. So, and even with, you know, uh, Patrick, almost uh, Patrick back to his, you know, situation. I mean, they're going to act who they, I mean, they are who they are. His girl and his brother are who they are. I think he should probably sit them down and have a deep discussion with them, but it's not going to do anything to the team as a whole. That's that doesn't that's not why the team is losing. 
that's not you can't put that on everything. Maybe maybe it might be bothering Patrick to an extent. Sure, maybe that's probably means he should address it then. Even more of a reason he should address it. But again, what's gonna bother Matthew? Or sorry, what's gonna bother Tyron Matthew individually? It's not gonna it's not gonna bother the whole team. What might be in my point? That's what my point is. What's bother? What you know? What is on Patrick's mind is on Patrick's mind, and it's not gonna be on D. Clark's mind, uh, Frank Clark's mind. It's not gonna be necessarily on Alex Hitchens's mind. It ain't gonna be on Sorensen's mind. It ain't gonna be on the putter's mind, okay? And what and you know, um, the drama that Andy Reid is going through. Sure, I'm pretty sure he's acknowledged it with some of the players. But they're not carrying that with them. That's not bothering Patrick per se. It might be, again, Andy might be going through all type of shit. But that's him. He knows how to leave that at the door. That's what people do. They come to their job. They might be thinking about it a little bit or however. Just the regular, even, you know, we look at our personal situation. We let some of these things go out the door. So, again, I, 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 I highly don't think. That is these out a lot of these outside problems that these people have brought up in the media to that's really behind it. It's football. It's and it's people getting it's the teams around them getting much, much better. That's it. All right, y'all. I'm gonna take another break and when we get back, we'll we'll be breaking down uh Drake's certified lover boy. Yeah. Another long album to talk about, but I did it, y'all. And it took a good it took a minute. But I definitely did it. All right, y'all. I'll be right back. Any want the tea on me, I swear these bitches nosy. Said he put some money on my head, I guess we gon' see. I won't put no money on his head, my niggas owe me. I gotta be cynical, why you can't control me? Uno of those traits in a race, they can't hold me. And I show my face in a case, so you know it's me. Imitation isn't flattery, it's just annoying me. And I'm too about it. And the dirt that they threw on my name turned to soil, and I grew about it. Time for y'all to figure out what y'all gonna do about it. Big wheels keep rolling, rolling. I'm outside, 29, G5, Seaside. I've been losing friends and finding peace. But honestly, that sounds like a fair trade to me if I ever heard one. All right, y'all, let's wrap this up for today, or tonight, rather. Uh, I got a, a prom for the review edition, of course. Uh, this time around, we are doing Drake Certified Lover Boy. Took me a while to get to this one. Uh, this is a pretty long album. Uh, I don't know what's up with these albums, 20 plus songs, but again, that's what it is. I uh, was able to get through it. And uh, of course, as you guys know, I'm probably not the biggest Drake fan out there, but there are some aspects of his style and just his music that I do like. There's a lot of songs that I can say that I do like by him. It's a good number of them. And, and this album is no exception. Uh, I always find something that I can say positive and and can, and can give him some props on. He's always been a smooth cat. Uh, he's always been the ladies' man. I don't take that away from him. He's a piece beats. He has so much charisma. I understand that. I see that even as a non-quote-unquote fan. But he brings a lot to the table as an artist, as a rapper. So I don't I don't put too much shade on him, despite me not being a fan. So like I said, just like with uh, many Drake albums, there's at least one, two, maybe even three, three or more songs that I could say that I truly like. I said this one is no different. Uh, one of the main songs that I liked, and I think a lot of people uh, enjoy in this album, is Fair Trade. Um, 
I've been losing friends and found a peace. Honestly, that seems like a fair trade to me. What I've been through over the past year or so, I mean, this is reflective of that. Like, I understand. Like, you, you, you're you finding your, your own self. You're finding your own path. And certain people ain't going to rock with you down that path. Certain people ain't going to make it with you. And uh, so many things have been revealed to me over this past year about certain people and just people who were friends or claimed they were friends and all that and people who love you and stuff like that, you know. Uh, again, he just keeps on breaking it down. Roy's sick. I'm sick of, I'm sick of worrying. I'm worrying. I'd rather bury them. I'm talking fake friends and skeletons. I get it, bro. Uh, you want to get past those stages in life. And I, and I honestly say that uh, for many uh for, there's many examples of this song him kind of growing up and getting out of a certain stage of his life um so i gotta give him that um i definitely see his growth as a man as an artist um particularly like i said in songs like this uh he especially i mean again in this song he breaks it down as a more early morning sort of rubs his lawyers trying to settle man i'm never seven and shit gets sharp gets shit gets darker than my melanin again he's trying to tell you know i'm not moving i'm not settling for what i used to i'm a different person and i think when you grow up, you gotta, I mean, or when you go through change yourself, um, it don't even take, you know, and, and that's the thing, it's like, it's almost like a, a catch-22, because as much as I, I, I dig where he's coming from, it's like, you know, us regular people go through this all the time, we talk to each other like this all the time, but again, we're not rich and famous, so not everybody's gonna sit there and say, yeah, he's saying a big, a good, a big, grand, you know, point here, but again, we go through this, so I understand, even just on a regular person standpoint, the concepts of what he's talking about in fair trade uh, all love is pretty decent too kind of one of those songs where hey you know uh, we've been through this stuff in the past but i'm, I'm moving on and that's kind of i think one of the things of this album is him kind of just going through certain things with people and, and being a part of certain genres and him just kind of removing himself from that um of course i know that the title it might seem you know lover boy and of course there's a lot of that in there but some of it is him just kind of, uh, you know, refining himself. Again, he's, you know, 30-something years old, 35 years old, so um, a couple years older than me at least. So he's, you know, getting himself together. He's still growing and maturing in different ways. So I, I think this album does a good job of reflecting that. I think Jay-Z has a verse on this on this track. I'm, I can't remember which song it was. I believe it was this, but it was this one. Just like with his appearance on Kanye's album, I mean, it just doesn't do it for me. Again, he's talking about how he's killing motherfuckers and he's 50 years old. He's still pushing that same that same line and it's the same type of jargon he was pushing in 1996 and the early 2000s. I don't see where Jay-Z is all this great artist that people have always said he is. He's become quite overrated to me with time. I don't know how that's happened, but I'm sorry. It's just the way it has become for me. Uh, another song that I uh, really dug was TSU. Um, primarily because it gave me it gave it gave me Houston, Atlanta, Vegas feels, and I'll be honest with you, I love cool, smooth out, uh, low key Drake. I like songs like uh, Trust Issues, you know. Uh, Marv, I didn't like necessarily the cons, uh, the 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 bars of Marvin's Room, but I definitely like the beat. I like the melody. I like the low key kind of sleepy tone type of pace it has. I like that type of beat. I like those Drake songs. To be honest with you, I'm a sucker for that. TCU was definitely all that. You know, a low-key vibe, kind of, you know, smoke a little bit, sip a little bit, reflect a little bit. I like that. I like uh, when Drake makes you reflect. I mean, because, again, um, a lot of what he does is out there. Not necessarily out there, but, he, you know, he's a ladies' guy. You know, he, he is who he is. You know, he's a super ball, superstar, you know, big poppy, you know what I'm saying, you know, um, all that energy, right? 
but to have them low key and, and kind of give you something self reflecting about herself. Even again, even although I might not like the bars to attract like Marvin's room, it's still good to kind of it's still a good reflection of what's in the man's mind. It's not just a run of the mill, you know, your run of the mill rap song. So again, same thing with TSU and the same thing with a lot of these songs here, and not your run of the mill rap songs. I also want to say that uh, you know, I did definitely got on, I did definitely get on the use of auto tune for Kanye's album. Although it's here in Drake's album, it's not as prevalent, and Drake actually can sing pretty good, and that always has rang true. Um, definitely another reason why I've always given him some respect. He can actually sing, and that's that's what he does. Another song that I truly liked was No Friends in Industry. Again, kind of one of those reflective songs where, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I've watched what I've done over the years. I've seen these people, uh, their true side over the years, and... You know, I'm done being the nice guy. I'm done being the guy that caters to those people, to that crowd of people. So I'm, I'm again, I'm distinguishing myself from the pack. And again, he has the skill set to do it. He has the following and the charisma to do it. So I'm all for that. Uh, this uh, again, now, this is, uh, you know, I know I said beforehand when I kind of first mentioned how I was doing this, uh, that I was doing this review, that this would probably be the first Drake album that I liked fully. And although there are a few songs, um, particularly in the beginning, that I don't really, you know, I'm not really all into, per se. I think it was Girls Like Girls or something like that. I, again, it, it's just one of those party songs. I, I'm not into, um, I like self-reflective music a lot, you know. So those songs in the beginning of the album really didn't do much for me. Uh, in the Bible was a decent track. I, I get, you know, it's bound. What I will say is, all the tracks were banging in, in terms of melody, in terms of the beats. They were all pretty much banging. I just don't, you know, always uh, fuck with all the subjects every time, you know. But that goes with every mainstream guy, you know. Um, they get into those mainstream topics where, you know, like again, he had another song. Um, I think on the Birdie Pass, 7 a.m. on the Birdie Pass. And I'm like, okay, here he goes with this this gangster. Toronto shit, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying that Pimp Motherfucker's not gangster, he's not a gangster, but again, you know, we as a populace will sit there and listen to that and, and, and vibe with that, but then the minute we want to have an argument against, you know, the white establishment, we'll use that music and that type of element as a, as an argument, well, look at all what these rappers do, but we listen to it, we all this, so, it's a catch-22, again, um, I'm not gonna question his street cred, I'm beyond that type of shit, um, it ain't my place. It just doesn't. It just doesn't vibe with me no more because we should be on a different level where we're not necessarily, you know, adhering to all that or embracing all those negative aspects. Again, since we are about trying to promote a different message for these children and these, you know, subsequent futures. At least that's how we. That's how we, you know, go after people like Lil Nas X and his messages. So I'm just saying we got to keep it co coherent and consistent. I'm just saying can't be all anti-gay but cool with black on black violence and all that type of shit and motherfuckers degrading black women. So I, I you know, hey, take it how you want. I don't I don't necessarily listen to songs that are just, you know, glorifying violence against black men. I don't I don't I'm not supportive of that. Um also another track that I like, oh man, I can't remember the name of the song right now. Uh but it was a feature with uh Rick Ross. Again Rick Ross had a pretty solid verse. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of his uh either, but again it's a pretty solid verse, kind of just reflecting about how he wants to be uh, a mentor kind of to these to these children and, and and in many ways i do see that um in a way i think all these guys try to grow and they try to be that guy that people can 
look up to. I do I do notice that about these people. But I just think the message just needs to be consistent. It shouldn't be drowned down by two new songs about I gotta kill this guy or I'm doing this or I'm flashing my money. You broke niggas don't know nothing about this. I don't, you know, those things I just can't relate to. Maybe because I'm not rich, you know. And I guess maybe if I was rich, I, I might, but I don't. So some of those songs I don't relate to, but a lot of them I really do. Again, like songs like Fair Trade, where it's clear that he's been through some shit. He's understanding who people are. Again, we all go through those things. Um, you know, trust me. Like, I know all about going through friends and understanding who's the real ones and who's not. Shout out to the ones that who know that are my, a friend of mine and I consider to be that. They already know what's up. I know what's up. So those those tracks I definitely will always rock with. And I got a lot of love for him uh, for that track um, specifically. So altogether, the album itself was pretty damn good uh, um, again I, I'm gonna there were some songs that were a little bit whining to me uh, like you know uh, fucking fans and all that like oh man you know you worried about the girl and all that still Marvel's Room-esque type songs like you know uh, all, we had all this drama and I miss all that whatever apparently he was dissing Jay-Z I never really got those references because again they're too indirect I mean I'm from an era not even from an era I was just born in an era and grew up slightly in an era where when they had issues with you, they would just call you out on wax completely, and you would all know who you had an issue with. So it's hard to really tell. I'm not in for the. I'm not in for the the uh, subliminals. I don't like subliminals. Just say what it is. You don't like what that person did or whatever, and move on. And that's how you do it. I mean, again, we can sit there and hypothesize and say, yeah, yeah, ooh, ooh, he's throwing these veiled shots, but who really cares? I mean, it, it doesn't really have the same impact as a no Vaseline. So. Until we have a No Vaseline S or Hit Em Up S type of song, I ain't really, you know, tripping about what these people are saying about each other, about other rappers. Uh, but overall, like I said, it was a good album. Uh, if I were to grade it, I'm going to give it an A-. minus. still was a pretty good, I mean, the songs that I liked were enough to really do it for me. I mean, he really put his foot in this one, I think. Uh, the production was there, again, with some of these these uh, topics he's discussing. The, al the album name itself might throw you off. Certified Lover Boy. Now, mind you, there is those Lover Boy type of tracks, but then you got Way Too Sexy. Everybody loves that song, too. I'm not truly a big fan of that one, but it's there, and people love it. So, again, I'm not going to bash what the people love. So, again, overall, I thought it was a good album. Uh, is it worth listening to? Yes, um, definitely. You can, I mean, of course, people are going to do it anyways, regardless of what I say, because he's just that type of a guy. Uh, but again, is it worth playing? Yes, I give it a seal of approval. I think it's good, and I'm not a fan, so you know what it is. If you don't like Drake, if you just hate Drake, then you just a hater. Again, the man makes some decent music. He does. I ain't gonna take that away from him. All right, y'all. I'm gonna call it a wrap for today. Uh, when we come back to this, we do have a World Series game coming on tomorrow. Again, we got the Braves uh, facing off against the Astros. Game six. We're gonna get into that, of course. Because uh, it may just be the deciding factor. We don't know yet. Also, going to be breaking down some college basketball. We are going to be getting closer to the season. So, I'm going to be breaking down the teams in the top 25 um, to start off with. Uh, not every team in the top 25, at least on the next episode, we're going to break them down, go through each team so we can kind of, um, well, we're going to break them down into certain groups just so we can get through every team in the top 25. We can guys get a good idea of the who's who or who's projected to be something. And then we'll get into some other team. Well, the rest, you know, the rest of the major conference teams and, you know, other teams on the outside. Or, you know, you know what I mean. You know, some other teams uh, as we get closer. Because the season starts November the 9th. So we are getting close to that. And, of course, we have an NBA update as well. I want to get through the standings for the first time of the season. Things of that nature. And, of course, um, 
broke down the NFL, which we're going to probably have some more NFL content as the week progresses. And, of course, we already know I got multiple shit to do, a bunch of shit to do for YouTube. So, y'all keep on the lookout. I will do my best to keep y'all posted on what's going on. That's on my end. And uh, if anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. I'll be leaving a link for you guys, of course, in the description for this episode. And I'll holler at you guys later.